Cooking and traumatic TV. Are you or is someone you know addicted to television cooking shows? Chopped, Cupcake Wars, Worst Cooks in America? Love them or hate them, they've had a significant impact on American home cooks. We'll talk about that and much, much more today on Bending the Spoon. But before we get to that, I'd like to remind you that if you like recipes, go to bonicellicookingclub.com and sign up for my email list and check out all of the options of participating in the club. And if you like what you hear today, hop over to podchaser.com and leave Bending the Spoon a positive review. Also, for the video version of this podcast, subscribe to Bonicelli Cooking Club on YouTube. Now, let's talk about cooking and traumatic TV. Years ago, I attended a conference for female chefs. One of the main topics of the conference was the negative effects of reality cooking shows, which are anything but real, on Americans and their cooking. The revelation, or I should say the phenomenon, is that Americans watch a lot of food TV on a wide variety of channels and devices, but Americans are cooking less. That conference was a few years ago. Pandemic and all, it is still true. There was a time when all cooking shows were instructive, mostly women tuned in to learn a specific technique or recipe or commune with a host whose job was to improve our lives. Some of those chefs and cooks were Julia Child, Martha Stewart, Lydia Bastianich, the Galloping Gourmet, the Frugal Gourmet, Jamie Oliver, Emeril Lagazzi, to name just a few, all teaching cooking. And it worked. I can name many home cooks and food businesses, mine included, that were totally inspired by watching these shows. But there was a tremendous shift in television cooking shows due to the success of The Iron Chef in 1999. Now that show led to that programming shift. Now the majority of cooking shows are challenges and competitions these days, followed in popularity by travel shows featuring food in some fashion, and lastly, shows that actually teach cooking. And many of those shows are celebrities that are only there because they're celebrities, not because they have skills to teach. Food television is making big, big money, turning the kitchen into a very stressful place. So here's a list of top new and returning shows in 2022. There are lots of lists out there that vary somewhat, but the mix is similar, and I picked this one. The only two listed that were not competitions, one was Ina Garden hosting dinners in her home, probably some cooking, I assume, and the other was Chef's Table on Netflix featuring pizza, basically beautifully filmed restaurant chefs making pizza. For competitions, I'll list them. Next Level Chef, chefs facing unique cooking challenges in a culinary gauntlet to be the world's newest superstar. This is with Gordon Ramsay, so there will be some lecturing and probably some yelling. The Julia Child Challenge, eight home cooks cook their way through some of Julia Child's most iconic recipes to win a trip to Paris to study at Le Cordon Bleu. Cool. Iron Chef, quest for an iron legend. Chefs go head-to-head against culinary icons in a battle for the chance to become the iron legend. Guy's chance for a lifetime. Guy Fieri gives competitors the chance to run their own Chicken Guy franchise. Wow. Spring Baking Championship, Easter. Some of America's best bakers get set to prove their skills in this springtime baking championship. 
Barbecue USA. Michael Simon, also a chef, travels to barbecue competitions across the country to showcase competitors and barbecue talent. Gordon Ramsay, Uncharted Showdown. Gordon Ramsay faces off against UK stars Paul Ainsworth and Matt Waldron. As you can see, Gordon has two reality cooking competitions now. Here's my favorite one because it's just so, so ridiculous. Easy Bake Battle. Queer Eyes resident food millennial Antony Porowski hosts a culinary competition where Baker's main tool is essentially a box of plastic surrounding a light bulb, an easy bake oven, dear Lord. So here's one that I just watched and was a little surprised by, The Big Brunch, created and hosted by Emmy winner Dan Levy. The Big Brunch celebrates inspiring undiscovered culinary voices from every corner of the country. This eight-episode cooking competition series gives 10 talented chefs the opportunity to share their stories and business dreams while vying for a life-altering $300,000 in cash. Somebody is going to be crying. So all of these shows follow pretty much the same formula, but we'll talk more about that after our featured ingredient. This week's featured ingredient is sun-dried tomatoes. Sun-dried tomatoes have a distinct, rich, deep, almost piquant flavor that is a great addition to pasta dishes, meat, poultry, fish, vegetables, and even breads. They make wonderful pesto and dressing, and I keep them on hand always. They're ready to go, delicious and unique. Sun-dried tomatoes are ripe tomatoes that lose most of their water content after spending a majority of their time drying in the sun. These tomatoes are usually pre-treated with sulfur dioxide or salt before being placed in the sun in order to improve their color and appearance. The practice of drying tomatoes in the sun was originally done on the roof tiles in Italy for the purpose of preserving the tomatoes for use during winter. The tomatoes take five to 10 days to become sun-dried tomatoes, depending on their size, the type of tomato, and of course, the sun. When they're done, they weigh about 10% of their original weight. Sun-dried tomatoes range in texture, color, and size, depending on the type of tomato. Red plum tomatoes, like Roma tomatoes, are the most common tomato variety used. The top producer of sun-dried tomatoes is Turkey, producing 40% of the world's productions. Sun-dried tomatoes can be bought in a package as a paste or bottled in oil like these with herbs and are commonly available in jars in most supermarkets. I love them packed in oil. The tomatoes are soft and tender and the oil is great too. Sun-dried tomatoes are very high in potassium, sodium, and manganese, and they have significant quantities of other vitamins and minerals. Sun-dried tomatoes are our featured ingredient. Losing in the kitchen. One of my biggest problems with cooking competitions is that someone loses. That often involves crying and degradation and humiliation. So the kitchen, a place where people commune, cook together, a place filled with love and family, is now about stress and drama. And don't tell me that's what commercial kitchens are all about. Chefs work very hard to control and eliminate stress because cooking for the public in and of itself can be really stressful. Let's talk about some of the formulaic elements of these shows and the fact that they are all manufactured false reality, designed for drama and conflict. In fact, they are so manufactured that the winner may not have been the best and the losers may not have deserved to lose. It's all rigged. Most shows start with a big prize, in other words, how they bait their chefs and cooks into the room to suffer or be exalted, and then the ridiculous reveal of ingredients or focus of the dish. 
But here's the thing. The contestants know what they're going to cook. They have to, to get the ingredients together and have the proper equipment. I really love it, though, when everything magically appears. A completely bare kitchen too bustling and full of equipment and food. Here are a few backstage facts I found in my research. The backstory and the confessional cut-ins are recorded after the fact and are at least semi-scripted or coached by the producers. Remember, drama. Even though the shows are supposed to be in real time, time is compressed because it has to be, because cooking different dishes takes different amounts of time. So everyone finishing within seconds of each other, probably not. There are retakes because things get missed and they have to show the interesting cooking moments. The emphasis on competition and the necessity to create personal animosity and emotional instability is built in which completely obscures any real cooking and real cooking chops. Now, celebrities, celebrity chefs and restaurateurs are often terrible judges. Celebrities don't necessarily know anything about food and who knows what any of them are drawn to or why. If nothing else is real, why would their opinion be? And I ask you, doesn't everyone want their grandmother's bread pudding recipe ripped apart on international television? Also, here's a fact, tasting over time and multiple dishes results in fatigue and so does drinking. I find it particularly annoying when the judges sip cocktails while the contestants are scurrying around the kitchen, burning things and having their meringues break. Oh, and it's also really helpful for the judges to go to their station and ask questions while the chef is under a ticking clock. So let's see if we can just break their concentration and make things really fall apart. Now, makeover shows like Kitchen Nightmares often put the businesses they are making over out of business. They are set up to fail and fail they do. Now, granted, some of these restaurants probably needed a large infusion of cash and long-term coaching, not just TV episodes worth of help, but creating the drama and finding all sorts of food safety violations, a horrible menu, disgusting carpeting, and then rehabbing a space on a shoestring budget overnight making a troubled feuding staff cook an unfamiliar menu with no time, and then having all the patrons show up at once is not a successful restaurant make. Now, we know the restaurant owners sign NDAs, which they do to get the restaurant makeover and celebrity exposure. And of course, they know what they're getting into. They're just looking for a lifeline. And the producers are looking for ratings. With that, it's time for our tip of the week. The tip of the week is to save your leftover sun-dried tomato oil. I keep it in the fridge until I'm ready to use it. Think of it, we buy and make flavored oils and they are expensive. This one is already done, on hand and paid for. You might as well use it. You can saute your mirepoix for soups and other dishes, saute chicken breasts, use it to drizzle over fish to toss in your pasta, and to make pesto, use it anywhere you want extra flavor and you're going to use oil. But I have to say, my favorite way of using leftover sun-dried tomato oil is in a simple homemade salad dressing. So here is my go-to recipe. One half cup strained sun-dried tomato oil, one quarter cup red wine vinegar, one teaspoon of Dijon mustard, one teaspoon of freshly minced herbs, one clove of minced garlic, kosher salt, and freshly ground pepper to taste. Feel free to play with the ingredients, particularly the ratio of vinegar to oil and the amount of Dijon and herbs. Make it your own. The tip of the week is save your leftover sun-dried tomato oil. 
You are listening to Bending the Spoon, the podcast dedicated to making you a better cook. I'm Chef Laura Bonicelli, and I want to remind you that if you like recipes, go to BonicelliCookingClub.com and sign up for my email list and check out all of the options of participating in the club. And if you like what you hear today, hop over to Podchaser.com and leave Bending the Spoon a positive review. Also, for the video version of this podcast, subscribe to Bonicelli Cooking Club on YouTube. Now, back to our episode. You can't be a chef without being asked to compete in a cooking competition. I have only done one, and it was absolutely awful. I agreed reluctantly to do this for a local farmer's market, me against another chef, totally doing something that I fundamentally disagree with because... I believe that food should bind people together, not separate them, and not be used to outdo another person. And I truly believe that the adversarial format is negatively impacting cooking in America. But I agreed, mainly because the market sponsor had put a lot of money into the event and they couldn't get anyone else. Needless to say, I hate to tell you, I lost, which didn't help my already terrible opinion of cooking competitions. So this competition was outside, live, in real time, and it was 90 degrees in the shade. At one point, I literally thought I was going to pass out. Now, that was before the competition started. Once we got up and running, though, we did well. We finished on time. My niece assisted me, and she was amazing. Our prep was well done. So, other than not winning, because even though I don't like cooking competitions, I, of course, wanted to win, I was satisfied. But here's the cool thing. I had a conversation with a chef that did win when we were done, and he told me that I had cooked with my meal delivery service for his family during a very, very difficult time. He thanked me and told me that he loved my food. Now, I wouldn't have had that conversation without that competition, so maybe that's why chefs do them. Even if they don't win, they hope there will be an unexpected bonus, and for me, there certainly was. It's top tool time. My top tool for this cooking and tortured TV episode is the mezzaluna, which translates to half moon in Italian. The mezzaluna was invented in Italy in the early 1700s, and I find it to be a kitchen must-have. A mezzaluna is a knife consisting of one or more curved blades with a handle on each end, which is rocked back and forth to chop ingredients. They usually have a single blade, like this one, but sometimes seen with two or three blades. Mine came with a board, love this, which has an indentation, which allows me to contain whatever I'm chopping. I love that because it keeps my kitchen clean. I use it for our featured ingredient, sun-dried tomatoes, because I'll tell you, they're a mess to chop and the divot in the board keeps them together. Ametsaluna is also wonderful for chopping herbs, mincing garlic and shallots and nuts. My top tool, is the Mezzaluna. You can find out more and where to get them on my Bennable site. There's a link in the show notes. Here's another angle on cooking competition shows. It's a fact that cooking schools have shut down all over the country. One of the reasons for that is pure economics. Why get a $70,000 education for a job that's going to pay $15 an hour? It just doesn't make any sense. Another reason could be the negativity associated with cooking. Too stressful. I mentioned the chef's conference I attended. Many chefs, myself included, found that many of the potential employees we interviewed that did go to cooking schools were more interested in achieving fame by entering competitions. 
because they watch competitions and also it's become a part of the educational system. So more interested in that than they were interested in actually working in a restaurant or commercial kitchen. So the kids that are paying the $70,000 want to be famous chefs without doing any of the grunt work. And they're probably hoping they'll win a $300,000 competition and get their own free restaurant with a bunch of free publicity. The truth is that cooking for a living is hard work. And most of the people doing it don't become famous. Usually they just love food and they found a way to work with it and still love it. When the underlying message of most of the cooking television we watch is one of failure, loss, despair, with a little humiliation thrown in, why wouldn't we rather be entertained by it, watching someone else go through it rather than do it ourselves? That's it for this week. Next week's podcast is called The Importance of Holiday Cooking Traditions. Till then. Thank you so very much for listening to this episode of Bending the Spoon. If you like this episode or if you think someone else would find it useful, please leave a review on podchaser.com. And if you have any questions for me, find me on Instagram or YouTube or go to bonicellicookingclub.com and leave me a message. Thank you and go and make some magic in your kitchen.